0: Yo, what's up, guys? Jonathan Bame here from Theory 11, and we are back for a new edition of our Roundtable Discussion podcast series. Each time we do this, we invite a different artist or artist uh, to join us on this podcast and take questions that you guys have submitted yourselves in the theory 11 message boards the theory 11 forums i think we got over 150 questions for tonight's podcast we distill those down to just a few questions that we think were uh, overall representative of what you guys wanted to learn and to know from our guest this evening um, and we're going to get to as many as possible we've got a short amount of time uh, to go through some things today, but we're going to get to as much as we possibly can, and uh, that's all my preface. And without further ado, we're joined on this podcast by Blake Void. Blake, you there? Hello, I'm. What's here. up? What's up? Uh, Blake is in LA right now. I'm on the East Coast, so we're in totally different parts of the country. We're not in the same room, despite it might sound like that from this podcast. Um, but we were just <laughs> together last week. We we're both in New York and had this crazy adventure. I guess nothing. I don't, it's hard to call any week an average week in our lives at this particular <laughs> juncture. Uh, but on this day, one week ago, um, Blake was in New York and he was performing on the Today Show on NBC um, in front of millions of people. And uh, the X Factor is that it was also live. Uh, so I think before we get into the questions, Blake, can you just like talk about that experience because that was the most uh, uh, recent nerve wracking, crazy adventure that we've, we've been on together?
1: Yeah, that was uh, you nailed the descriptive words there pretty accurately. Nervous, crazy, uh, adventure. I think you know being live with magic is always a little bit scarier than knowing that it's recorded. And if something goes wrong, you can do another take or pick the right angle. But since it was live, that was scary. I think what made the Today Show a little bit easier to swallow than uh, maybe comparing it to being live on AGT last year was that uh, AGT, I had weeks and weeks uh, and months to think about that day and every line I was gonna say and the camera angles and I had nights and nights of uh, trouble going to sleep because I was thinking about it and I believe you informed me about the Today Show about 72 hours before it happened. Yeah, I think, so. I think
0: the way that happened was that um, <laughs> I was like, Blake, good news. You're doing the Today Show on Monday. And then I think your response was like, great, next Monday? Okay, cool, I have to extend my flight. And then I was like, no, 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 no. Not next Monday, this Monday, as in like 72 hours from now.
1: <laughs> and then I believe there were some expletives uh, shared <laughs> upon that, that information being found out. <laughs> yes, it was something to that effect. Um, so let's dive into that a little
0: bit. Like, tell us like about the experience, and like if you can more broadly, like you, I think more than anyone else I know, are the most experienced in performing magic on television. Not just yourself, but like you've consulted for every single magician on television that I can name at least on my top ten list: David Blaine, David Copperfield. Uh, Everyone uh, I can think of has performed two. No. magic on television. Justin, Justin Willman Dan, for Justin and, Willman.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so and obviously Dan White, all of Dan White's appearances on the Tonight Show, um, you've been an instrumental part of. So you've done it a ton. Are you still nervous every time you do it? Why so? How do you go into preparing for something like last Monday? Give us the kind of flyby of what the process is like, and and how nerve wracking is it or isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely nervous every single time. Um, I think, you know, what I've found to be uh, a good strategy when it comes to these things is is not doing anything extremely new, um, especially when it comes to live. Uh, whereas when it comes to filming anything with Justin or Dan or uh, David Blaine, you know, they were doing brand new things. But a lot of the times, we knew we could go out on the street. Uh, or in front of audiences and we could workshop it and test it over time and develop the routine so that you know, over time we got the right take or the right audience or the right reaction. But anytime it it comes to live performing, uh, I've always found that the success I've seen with people I've worked with in myself, it's always smartest to perform things that you're very familiar with and you can do in your sleep. So, Whenever you told me about the Today Show, my first reaction was, okay, well, what trick have I not done on TV, but I have done a thousand times? Right. Because so that's it's, the only that, one.
0: A, it's live. I mean, I think the live part, just so that people listening to this like get, yeah, I think from your perspective, it's not the fact that it's like... It's going to so many people that makes you nervous. It's the fact that it's live and there are so many variables that are outside of your control. For example, right. the cameraman, the camera angles, which way are Angle. they filming from? What is the spectator going to do? Are they going to say something stupid or move their hand right. in a stupid way that you've never seen before? There's just so many variables in a magic performance. It's not like a musician where you're singing a song or playing guitar where like you've done it before. Really right. nothing that the production team there or anyone else can do could mess you up besides yourself. Right. You could mess up, but no one else is going to mess you up. Whereas magic is by definition participatory. It's interactive. Right. And there are variables that are
1: no matter how much you practice outside of your control. Right. <laughs> Was that a question? But I agree with everything you just yeah, said. No, I was just like trying
0: to, like, I, I was seeing from your perspective, like why that's nerve wracking. It's not nerve wracking just because the quantity of viewers, although that does right. not help, but it's also just because there's, you know, even though you were doing a trick that you, you can do in your sleep, although it's not recommended, um, right. <laughs> you, there's still so many things that are outside of your control. So you wanted to do something that maximizes how much control you have, which is that like this trick is like muscle memory for you at that point. Exactly, and that enables you a higher likelihood of success. But still, live television and uh, even the greats and magic have seen you know disasters happen unfold on live television just because anything can happen.
1: Yeah, and I think you know something that happened for me with AGT and just the Today Show is that I think anytime you're performing for television and like I am not the uh, expert at all on this. I'm just speaking from most recent experience, Uh, but. I found that if you're in the middle of performing or right before you perform, you think about, okay, so this trick is going to be seen by millions of people. I think you're kind of digging your own grave mentally and internally and adding so much pressure. I think the way that I approached uh, the Today Show especially was I'm performing for four people, the three hosts and that camera over there. And I think if you approach your audience as just four people it's way more digestible in the moment than to overthink how many people are actually watching
0: (laughs) right if you have a good time and the other person that you're performing for on television whether that is today show or Dan White's case performing for Fallon or Justin woman's case performing for Ellen if you have a great time they have a great time and people can sense the authenticity of that experience and reaction
1: right and I think you know the other thing that's important is in those high stress situations I mean surrounding yourself with people who make you comfortable and can calm you down uh for AGT that was you and Justin Wilman and my wife Nikki and my mom was there and for the Today Show it was just really helpful and comforting to look up past the camera and to see my wife and Dan just like smiling at me giving me a thumbs up because it's kind of that like uh home court advantage feel or you feel like your, your crew's there or the people that you know, support you are standing right there, backing you up, even if something goes wrong. So that's, yeah, I think that, that's, I mean, that's, that's The biggest too. thing
0: is that anything can happen, even if it's not live. It's like live the right. tape or something. You and I, without mentioning specifics, like we've done television things before, where you know we've gotten to the studio and and tried the trick out, and things didn't work as well as we thought, or something. Right. You have to figure out a way around that and work together. So having a creative team, or at least someone that you can rely on, that like is your collaborator, or someone that you can you can collaborate with. And the scope of that really helps make sure it's successful because then if anything goes wrong, you know that you've got a good Swiss Army knife of a SWAT team of magicians uh, that just support it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I think that team has developed over time and I feel like I have a pretty strong grasp of mine now, but that took a while to put together and test out and all that stuff. Um,
0: so let's get to some of these questions. I want to get through as many as we possibly can considering limited time here. Toby L1, let's backtrack a little bit. Uh, when did you realize you wanted to pursue magic as a career and not just a hobby?
1: Great way of wording it. Uh, I first got into magic when I was eight, but I did not think about seriously pursuing it as a career when I was eight years old. I don't think that happened until college. Um, I was seriously pursuing uh, being an orthodontist uh, until college and I saw a career counselor and because my grades weren't doing so hot and the career counselor said if, if you woke up tomorrow and money didn't exist what would you do from when you woke up to when you fell asleep and when my gut reaction was magic uh, she told me and I kind of told myself that maybe I should consider that as a professional career so that happened my end of my sophomore year of college and then and then i did (laughs) and then i did that yeah Yeah. so if the question is when did i first think of that uh that was when i seriously considered it um after having done it since i was eight started to get paid to do it when i was in high school and then started creating my own tricks in college um, up until college, I was just a carbon copy of my favorite magicians, and I think I still am, but um, when I got to college, I started creating my own methods and uh, premises and stuff, and so yeah, mine's, around that time.
0: Yeah, my story's different. mines um, I knew that I wanted to make magic my career when I was like 11, or 10 <laughs> or 11, because uh, the rest of my family has always been very supportive of magic yeah. and, and my passions, um, but the rest of my family's also has follows very traditional career paths. There's a lot of doctors and uh-huh. lawyers in my family. So I just like, no no one had ever impressed that upon me. No one was ever unsupportive um, of what cool. I was doing, but it was just kind of like through osmosis, I assumed that like I was to follow the similar career paths and color within the lines uh-huh. and I knew uh-huh. when I was very young that I did not want to do that. And I also knew um, somehow when I was young, that magic was be a difficult career path to pursue. And I knew that if I was gonna do that and not go be a doctor or a lawyer or all the traditional career paths that I was going to have to work really, really hard and work really, really fast to make headway because it's such a – um, even today, magic's bigger and hotter. I think than it ever has been. There's magic shows on Broadway. We right. do a magic show that's on Broadway. <laughs> uh, right. So, but despite that, it is still a difficult industry to break into and to be successful as a career. And I knew that. Yeah. And so, for people listening to this that m- want to make magic your career, um, I'm one thousand percent encouraging that. I just, it's just good for people to know that it's it's difficult road. Uh, just like being yeah. in the movie industry or the music industry. It takes an overwhelming amount of persistence and dedication, and uh, it's something that a lot of people say they want to do, being in the movie industry or be an actor or be a musician, but to actually be successful at it and understanding the work and commitment and persistence – uh, in the face of being told no one thousand times, even earlier right. today, like the call before, you know, this one <laughs> that we're on right now, Blake was me <laughs> telling you no that we had uh, got an, an answer no from something uh, another television opportunity. Uh, but that means, but we didn't stop; we kept going, and we just brainstormed about something an hour ago. Light the a fire. That. So that never right. goes away, and so like knowing right. that going in that you're going to be told no a thousand times, uh, yeah. But you're if you're dedicated to this and you're passionate about this and you're. Obsessed with this being your path, uh, you can absolutely make it. Um,
1: what's What's really funny though is, is someone uh, told me when I was younger they oversimplified the task at hand. I mean, you, I feel like, just appropriately worded how difficult it is to become a successful successful magician. But someone once told me there. I was telling them I was considering doing this and everything. And they said, "Well, that's actually really smart because when you think about it, there are thousands and thousands of people attempting to be an actor and thousands and thousands of people attempting to be doctors." There aren't thousands of people trying to become a magician, so you've actually got less competition. And, yeah. I mean um, that's true. It's it's a <laughs> it's smaller technically thing. true, uh, and I think that that comment uh, comedic answer has actually uh, given me hope sometimes in yeah. the face of adversity. <laughs> I say it a lot, like I did a.
0: Um... Uh, Justin Willman show uh, this this past weekend or two weeks ago um, that we produced here and I gave an intro for that and I talked about yep. – it was at the same theater, the same stage where I did my first show and I was relaying the story and I think I, I, think I said something similar in a speech at your wedding, Blake, where I just yep. said like when you tell your parents that you want to be a magician and make magic your life, that's <laughs> like – I think parents speak or in your case like when you told your, when your wife learned that you, – your now wife learned that you were a magician um, – it's it's like you know the stereotype of magic is maybe a half step above clowns or mimes
1: right. or uh, not that there's anything wrong with clowns or mimes not that there's anything yeah. wrong with that but
0: there is a lot <laughs> wrong with that in the public vernacular <laughs> respect as a profession right um, right you know I think it goes doctor lawyer um, architect teacher and then like four hundred other things and then like mime. magician uh, <laughs> mime and clown. Um, So it is a difficult road, I guess, in summary, but it's a... Incredible road. It's an amazing adventure. The stuff that we do on a daily, weekly basis are things that like I dreamed about as a kid. And it's still a right. like, pinch-me moment when you know, last week we did the Today Show on Wednesday. I helped Neil Patrick Harris with that, that shoot on Bravo. On
1: oh, yeah. I totally Wednesday. forgot about that. <laughs> Wednesday,
0: we, cons- we produced the magic for this uh, thing with the magician sci-fi in Brooklyn on Friday. And then we worked on the Nomad Show. Anyway, every day is an adventure. It's fun. It's thrilling. We love every second of it, but it's still a challenge, we still get told no a lot, so in summary to the Toby who's asking this question, which I will now move on from, uh, yep. it's difficult, but if you're committed to it, you can do it. Um, yeah. C. White, next question, which effect that you've created do you take the most pride in?
1: Oh, man, um, that's a, again, I'm, I'm trying to answer the specific wording of the question, because he didn't ask what's my favorite trick I've created, he said "What is? what do I take the most pride in? And you, you, just to piggyback off of the point you just made about people telling you no, uh, the trick that has not changed much since when I first created it, but people's minds about it have changed, would be regeneration. Uh, when I first came up with that trick, uh, Layman loved it, and I got a lot of negative feedback from, in air. I'm holding up air quotes, famous magicians, Um, that I showed it to hated it Um, they said it was a bad trick Nobody, no layman in their right mind would ever uh, watch a trick where you put their card in your mouth, it's stupid you need to change it, not a good trick, didn't fool me all that stuff and now I I just stuck with it because I enjoyed performing it and I wasn't, I never really created that trick to sell a magic trick, I created it because I loved the trick and I just kept doing it and Eventually, it a lot of people—not everybody, but a lot of people—have changed their minds, and so you know, I'm pretty proud of that. I stuck with it, even though um, at the beginning, a lot of people were just telling me that it was a bad trick.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah, uh, and obviously, it's a good trick because it was on the TV Thanks. Show this past week. Three um, <laughs> uh, V underscore previous underscore three V something. What is your magic philosophy? How do you define magic? I think the best. Uh, part of this question is the last part, which is, "What do you consider a good magic trick?"
1: Oh man, what were the, there? Were three parts to that? Uh, let's just stick to the last part because
0: I think that's okay. the most specific. What in the mind of Blake Void is a good magic trick? What is that
1: uh, formula? I don't think there there is a formula. W- what I look at when I see a trick, first and foremost, is that it's entertaining. Um, not necessarily that it's funny or scary or, or what, just like if if I'm entertained by it and I think that other people would be entertained by it, I think I look at that first before I look at what some people might assume how fooling it is. I think first I look at how entertaining is it because whenever I work on, on creative teams or, or work on my own material, I don't think first, well, what's going to fool the audience the hardest? I think that I think about, well, what's going to be the most fun or most entertaining? What are people going to leave talking about? Um, and then working backwards from there, then it's, okay, well, how do, now that this is the trick, this is the premise, how do we make it fooling as crap so that people have no idea how it worked? Um, so I think to oversimplify a very long two-hour answer, I would say I make sure it's entertaining first, and if it's entertaining then I want it to be fooling. And if someone shows me a trick that I enjoy watching and I couldn't tell you how it worked, then I think it's a great magic trick. Yeah, for
0: people listening to this, I know that some of that, at least when you initially said it, sounds like an obvious answer, but it's not. Like there's plenty of magic tricks that I see and I know, Blake, you see on a daily basis, like submissions even to Theory 11, people that want us to publish their tricks that are really fooling. They're just right. boring, or they're right. it's not, you know, novel or original, or it doesn't. It's not exciting. So making something that is exciting and captivating and compelling as like a narrative, as a story, and also yeah. deceptive. Likewise, I think there there are tricks that are really fun and really yeah. uh, exciting that aren't necessarily like fooling to me, but I love right. them because right. because it's just a fun experience. And you're, no, none of us, or at least you and I most of the people listening to this don't do magic to actually convince people you're a real sorcerer you want to fool people right. but most of all you're a magician because you want to entertain people and give them this crazy fun experience and a memorable moment and so much of that comes from just the spectators liking you and having a right. good time and smiling and that's what makes the memory the deception right. factor of it and being deceptive is extremely important Come i'm not second. diminishing that right but it's like it's it's uh I wouldn't say it's secondary, but it complements the. It's you right. have to have both halves to be a full memorable performance. I saw right. uh, Justin Wilman perform this past weekend. He did ninety minutes out of a carry-on suitcase with only the props he could fit <laughs> carry-on, a standing ovation, eight hundred people in the audience. Uh, and the reason why that show was so great, a, the magic was great, but b, Justin is this phenomenally seasoned. Experienced, fun performer, right. and people that saw him want to hang out with him and they believe, you know, that he's a cool, awesome guy, and he actually is. So that's, <laughs> you know, so instrumental in the process is that.
1: Yeah, I think he's, he's probably my favorite example of someone who can repeatedly impress the crap out of me with something that maybe I, like, I had known the principal Here's a specific previously. Example. Uh, Justin, yeah.
0: Justin did a thing that you're aware of, Blake, with peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> yeah. Age old trick. Uh, You can YouTube this, uh, and he did it as a, you know, kind of a political statement. It's this cool interactive uh, or cool compelling trick he did about six months ago. It's racked up millions of views. It's been featured lots of places, but it's based on a really simple trick. So was that the most deceptive magic trick of all time? Absolutely not. No. I mean, probably some people that watched that or any magician that watches that has a theory or at least a, a plausible idea of how it was done, but it's still really yeah. compelling because it makes, it has a message and has a point and it's fun to watch right. and it's, all and you know,
1: that's, that's a great example because where that trick was kind of born from was one day I, I showed up at Justin's house and he was standing on his, uh, porch, uh, performing peanut butter and jelly to himself. And I came up the steps and I was like, what are you doing? He's like, you know, this trick, and I was like, yep. He goes, man, is this a good trick? And I was like, "I was like, no, it's not. And he goes, yeah, but watch this. This is such a visual trick and no one does it. And I think that's kind of his, you know, one of his superpowers is seeing the potential in something that maybe other people overlook. And then from that day was born eventually that routine.
0: You yeah. Know. And so he, t- he took something that was old and made it new by way yeah. of presentation and thought yeah. and, and narrative exactly cool let's keep going uh do 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 ftl ftk i don't know what that stands for Uh, i'm gonna go with florida the kick something i don't know anyway uh what is your creative process behind creating a trick how do you know when a new trick is ready i think is what he's asking so i've seen your creative process and like how you go out and and test things at comedy so how would you summarize what your creative process is when you're trying something new
1: Um, When you're trying something new, I think it's important to surround yourself with people whose opinions you respect and can listen to because you can't do that by yourself. I think you can do it by yourself to a certain degree. Um, I don't like taking ideas that are really infant to uh, my friends, you, Dan, Justin. I don't like taking a really infant idea to you guys because... I want to take it as far as I feel that I can. Um, And then once I've worked on something to a certain degree, I love getting my friends' opinions on it because I could be stuck and hear one line from one of you guys that then, you know, catapults this idea to another level. But so, how do I know when an idea is ready? Or done. I, I don't think any of the tricks I've ever created or worked on have ever been done in air quotes because um, there's still uh, updates made to tricks I've been doing for years uh, out of the blue because of something a spectator says or something one of my friends says from watching it um, from a different angle. But I think, you know, when I'm ready to do it, uh, I practice a trick until I film it. And I watch the video back myself, and I remove myself from the situation, and I say, if, if that was me watching this trick for the first time, that would have fooled me, or that would have been fun for me to watch.
0: And then what is the process of how do you know when it's ready? Like you're, it's solid, like you're, you're, you're confident enough in it to go perform it for like a television show or something like that.
1: Ooh, man. Um, I think... Ready for different things has to be at certain levels. Like ready to perform live on uh, TV is a completely different level than ready to perform for my wife. I think my wife, unfortunately for her, is the first uh, barrier that my magic has to pass uh, because she's seen so many things that um, she's not really a layman anymore. And so if I show her uh, and it impresses her, then I might uh, take it to level two, which is you and Dan and Justin, and then if it impresses you guys, then I will have the confidence and and self-awareness that well, if it's impressed the three best magicians I know and it's impressed my wife, then an audience would have to be stupid to not like this. Um, And And then uh, what's level three? Level three is performing it for an audience until... Talk I about feel the audience really enjoys it. I yeah, guess. talk
0: about that. Like, how do you go? Like, I'm, you talk about like what you do with comedy, you know, clubs and things like that, with to using to make, creating opportunities to test things.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I love performing free shows, um, where, where or or shows where I'm not getting paid very much to perform because then there's a little less pressure for me to be as good. I mean, I, I always want to be good. But those types of shows are the ones where I'll try out new material. Um, And I'll I'll usually try, if there's enough time, to put a new thing between two really good old things. Because that way, if I crash and burn during the new piece, I know that the audience just saw something good and that they're about to see something good, even if this doesn't go well. Um, if If I only have time for one trick... Then it's it's kind of a crash or burn, and usually if I only have time for one trick, then it's it's not very much time to be uh, sucking on stage, so it's over quick. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yeah. So um, <laughs> <laughs> that's not a very
1: good answer, but it's the truth.
0: No. So uh, no. Honestly, what I took away from seeing how you go through the process, not just your answer here, is that you're yeah. not afraid to uh, go in front of an audience and perform stuff for free. Just to get the right. experience, which is worth way more than any gig is going to likely pay you. So you're willing to go out there perform for free just to get as much performing hours as possible. I think this past weekend, right. you talked about the difference between like, you know, 10,000 hours of performing on stage versus 100,000 hours of performing on stage. Right. Um, like a lifetime of experience versus that. But also, like, the difference between 100 hours of something and a 1,000 hours of something is massive. So if you've done a trick 500 times before, that makes yeah. a huge difference in your confidence and the flow and the rhythm and the the pacing and the cadence of your performance. So you being right. willing to do that is a big deal. Also, uh, back to the beginning of your answer, you talked about having people that are not afraid to tell you that that sucked. Uh, right. For me, you know, I've been friends with Chris Kenner since I was a kid, like 12, right. 13 years old. And one thing that I think everyone that knows Chris will tell you about Chris <laughs> is that he's not afraid to tell you his opinion. And if you yeah. ask for it, you should expect to receive it. And he's like, he, he's almost always right and will tell you creatively like does he hate something does he love something right. does it need work and having that as a resource or any friend that you might have people listening to this that you trust their opinion first and foremost if you're going to ask someone their opinion you have to like respect their opinion and say like you know, don't ask someone that you don't really care what they think if they've never done anything before if they're, right like you know there's some like, loser that you don't really care I think Jason <laughs> England always told me um, when asked, when seeking someone's advice on something all, or opinion on something or reading someone's opinion on something, a first <laughs> foremost, consider the source, the
1: source, yeah, consider
0: the source, like someone that's a, a loser or has never done anything and is criticizing right. you and telling you you're terrible or, you know, I've seen, you know, magicians, uh, that i friends with go on TV and do stuff, and then we read message boards or YouTube comments, and people, right. random people, are criticizing or magicians who may their not have any cr- credentials <laughs> to give that person thing. I'm not saying their opinions invalid. It's just not. It's just this is not something that's kept me up at night. Like I, I care right. more about the opinions of people that I look up to, and I choose to and continue to choose to surround myself with people who are smarter and more successful than myself, and I care about their right. opinions the most and so if you can find those people in your life and they don't have to be magicians then that's a that's amazing place to start let's have um
1: i think really quick really quick though there's an exact example of this situation and i don't want people to think that they're out of luck if they are not near comedy clubs or if they don't have friends like chris kenner and jason england um and a more specific example of this exact situation was last weekend when you, myself, and Dan White actually talked about what trick I was going to do on the Today Show, and I knew I wanted to do uh, Industrial Revolution by Jamie Grant to open, and I did not know what the second trick was going to be, and we had it down to two tricks, one that I had done a thousand times and another one that I had only done once, but it might have been arguably a little bit more fooling. And so the first thing I did was I made up the other trick, and the next morning when I went to check out of the hotel I was in, I performed that trick for the clerks behind the the desk. There were two ladies standing behind the counter, and I asked if I could show them a magic trick. And so I showed that trick to those two ladies as a test audience, and that was a free audience. It wasn't a comedy club, and it wasn't Jason England or Chris Kenner or you or Dan, but I, after that one performance, knew myself that that was not the trick to do because I did not feel comfortable performing it in front of two complete strangers. Um, so how on earth was I supposed to perform that for millions of people in 72 hours?
0: Yeah, no, and that was a good case study and you were unafraid to go out and try it and test it. Um, I was
1: afraid, but it was it was still worth it. <laughs> yeah,
0: you had to go through that process for you to know right. that if it was right or not. Um, I guess last question, a good thing to end on because we've got to wrap this up in a minute. Um, yep. Talk about just overall, like uh, how do you – you've performed magic uh, on television on the biggest stages that there are. America's Got Talent, Today Show this past week. Uh, You've consulted on magic that's been on television in the largest stages possible. Uh, How do you get the confidence to go out and do that? And just even talking about what you said, performing for people in the lobby of a hotel, like how do you get that inner confidence just to go out and do it? If people are listening to this and they are kind of paralyzed by – you know, what if my trick messes up? I'm too nervous. My hands shake too much when I'm performing. How do you combat that? How do you, you know, move past that? If if people listening to this might be might be stuck on that,
1: I I don't really have a great answer for that. I think there's always like the threshold of the anxiety and nerves that build up up until the the moment right before you start performing. And then for me, it's kind of once I start performing, all of that goes away. It's the it's the build up, the anticipation of performing. It's the uh, thirty seconds that feels like three years right before you start a trick that really is the scariest part. And then for me personally, it's just performing enough to knowing that once I start, it all it, I, I snap into autopilot confident performing mode it's just the the moments right before um, that are the scariest. And, you know, I heard Jimmy Fallon interviewed on, I think it was Cars Getting, or Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, saying, uh, Jerry Seinfeld asked him, you know, do you ever feel like you're not qualified to do this? And Jimmy said, every night um, I feel like, what am I doing here? And then the curtain opens and it all goes away. And I think it's kind of just learning and, Reprogramming your brain to get over the threshold of the moments right before you start performing, because then it kind of all goes away.
0: Yeah, there's a really good quote that I wrote down a while ago that I look at at least like once a month. Um, it's by Benjamin Mee, M E E, and mm-hmm. I agree with every damn word of it and it says sometimes all you need is 20 oh, yeah. seconds of insane courage just literally 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery and i promise you something great will come of it i think it's from yep. what's the movie like i bought a zoo or something um yep but it's I, that summarizes You're it. like that your jerker if you can get over like it's 20 seconds you can pretty much survive anything for 20 seconds i could like put a vice grip on your hand for 20 seconds and you'll be fine so just picture it like that if you can get over that hill and whatever you're trying to do whether that's a magic trick or you got some like you know you're fearful of some job opportunity or goal or doing a big show um or anything if you can just get over those 20 seconds of fear and of doubt and of like you know, insecurity of what if I suck? What if I bomb? Yep. And you just get out there and do it. And now you're out there. You're on the stage. You are you're starting the conversation. You are in the in the arena, whatever that is. Then yep. you're kind of home free, and in, in that like weight of all those anxieties and and insecurities, kind of fade to now you're doing it, and now it's yep. it's, it's real. And I think that's like what inspires me. If I'm ever scared of something, I just like picture. Getting to the other side and once you're on the other side of the curtain or once you just start, it doesn't right. matter what happens after that because you're, you're you're in it and you've achieved at least, uh, you know, attempting, which Starting is better than being yeah. fearful of, of trying something.
1: Yep, totally agree with that.
0: So... Um, and obviously, was like the most, the most uh, largest example of that is performing live on today's show provided 72 hours of notice and you got over that hump <laughs> last month. So uh, last week. So uh, right. <laughs> in, in short summary, um, thank you, Blake, for joining us on this podcast. Sure. Um, second and equally uh, grateful to you guys, the members who we submitted, you guys submitted over 150 questions for this. We tried That's to get amazing. to uh, not just rapid fire getting to all 150 questions, but giving you answers that were meaningful, that count. So for those of you who asked questions that we answered on this, thank you for submitting your questions and for your interest and your support. If you did not see Blake's appearance on today's show, it's in the media section of Theory11. If you go to theory11.com forward slash media, you can watch it. If you don't already know the trick that Blake performed, it's called regeneration. He did a twist on it, but it's the same core effect. You can check out theory11.com forward slash tricks if you don't own regeneration I don't know how you don't sleep at night because it's like this incredible uh, practical Uh. effect that you can have in your back pocket at all times. And it destroys. It's one of those like bulletproof effects that destroys people every single time you do it um and that is all um thanks again blake for joining us on this i hope you guys listening to this got a lot out of it obviously feel free to continue to ask us questions and stay tuned for more roundtable discussion podcasts in the forums we'll definitely be doing more of these throughout the year now that it is 2017 so thanks again to blake and we will talk to you guys soon
1: thank you theory 11 members thank you jonathan